Alrighty, guys. Now, look, I've had a lot of people, uh, both clients and otherwise, asking for more practical guidance for overcoming social anxiety so that they can meet new people, create friends, go on dates, and find a partner and all that kind of stuff. So today, I'm going to get really practical about some daily practices that you can engage in that will allow you to slowly desensitize yourself to social anxiety and eventually get to the point where you enjoy socializing even when you get so-called rejected and things like that. So stay tuned, hope you enjoy it, and let's get into it. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. Alright guys, so today we're going to be looking at what social anxiety is, why it happens, what beliefs need to be changed, and how to engage in some daily actions that will slowly desensitize you to socializing honestly over time and will allow you to finally enjoy getting out there meeting new people engaging in social activities now social anxiety itself is not a bad thing necessarily it's just something that most of us are born with or we're taught in different ways and sometimes it's good like if i get social anxiety in a new situation where i'm in a pub full of big gang members that's a kind of accurate time to feel anxious you know to be on guard But a lot of the time we feel social anxiety when we're actually surrounded by wonderful opportunities, not threats. And then we behave as if we're threatened and we miss out on those opportunities. So today I want to look at how you can slowly work through that and come to a place where socializing doesn't make you panic or worry anymore. Let's start by having a look at what social anxiety is. Some of you might not even know that you have it. But basically social anxiety is any worry you have about the way people will respond to you. And maybe you might not feel fear or anxiety, but your behavior is safe. It's protective coping mechanism type behavior. So if you hesitate to speak openly, honestly, boldly, if you hesitate to go up to someone you're interested in to show how you truly feel, to have confrontations, if you avoid these things or prevent them, or you try and work your way out of them, You might not feel afraid because you're safely engaging in a behavior that stops it from happening, but it's the fear that's driving that behavior. Any sense of vulnerability you have about being discovered or revealed, the kind of sense that if the true you is seen, that you'll be in trouble. All of this is really just a fear of rejection, which might lead to ostracism and abandonment. Any kind of behavior or sensations you have that make you want to avoid people disliking you, avoid revealing your true feelings, you know, showing your hand, so to speak, anything like that is probably social anxiety. Any fear of other people, really, or how they might react or what they might do to you, how your reputation might be affected, what people think of you, all of that is under the umbrella of social anxiety. Now, some people have it very strongly to the point where they're shy and they feel unable to talk to people or for the extroverts where they show off a lot and they try to get approval and attention and they're just obnoxious about it. Or you might just have it mildly, like you can't talk very comfortably with attractive women, for example, or you can't stand up to your boss, but you're generally pretty assertive. So there might just be a few specific people you struggle with and feel anxious about, or you might generally feel anxious about socializing. Why do we have social anxiety when it's so unhelpful to our social goals? Why do we have this thing? It's genetic, partly. Our ancestors survived because of it. There was a time, tens of thousands of years ago, where if you did not fit in, you died. 
And up until just a couple of hundred years ago, this was the case. Fitting into society, being liked by other people, being approved of, was necessary for survival unless you were the chief. And very few people were chief of the tribe. So the people who didn't try to fit in and weren't socially anxious, they died. And they didn't have children and their bloodline did not survive. Yours did and that was passed down to you. Epigenetics, okay, you've actually inherited social anxiety to some extent. Now, how far that goes in after you're born depends on your nurturing. If you're nurtured by confident, bold, or extroverted people, you might not develop social anxiety. But if you're bullied, or your parents care a lot what other people think, or you're friends with people who care what other people think, you're going to develop social anxiety. And of course, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy here. Teenage or child years, you learn that being a bit fake is safer than being real. Get bullied, you don't get rejected. And so you start to believe that being fake is what keeps you safe. And then when you occasionally be real, after being fake most of the time, it gets a bad reaction. So it looks like being fake is safe and being real is risky. So you actually fulfill the prophecy. You, you prove to yourself that your anxiety is genuine about the threats that you're facing and that it's trying to keep you safe and so you obey it like a slave of course you don't see the truth which is that if you've been boldly yourself you might have been the leader rather than a follower but you never got a chance to see that proof you never took the risk long enough and took the hits and the rejections enough times to see that proof so you have no evidence of it other than seeing the occasional popular person there's also vicarious proof you see others being bullied or suffering from rejection. You might even just see it on a, on a fictional TV program. And you think, well, that's proof. You can't be rejected. You can't let other people see you. You might feel anxiety watching somebody else be awkward or embarrassed. If you're the kind of person who watches someone being embarrassed on television and can't even watch it, like a program like The Office or something, you just feel that like unbearable discomfort watching a program like that then that's vicarious. You're not even seeing a real situation. You're not in the situation that you've already got anxiety. You're trained to believe that somebody else being awkward or embarrassed is a bad thing. Somebody else being rejected is painful. And what you've got is basically a lack of understanding of your emotions. You've come to think that anything uncomfortable is bad, so you've got to shy away from it. And you're shying away from it before you even get to see where it goes. You know, you shy away from an argument because it's feeling uncomfortable. And that means you don't stay in the argument long enough to see that it actually helps the relationship. You don't let it get to that point. You're so avoidant of something like embarrassment that you don't get to see that rejections are painless because you don't follow through on them. You're so afraid of the anxiety of public speaking that you don't do public speaking enough to see that it's enjoyable and that you can help people. So because you start to get uncomfortable and your immediate reaction is to shy away from that discomfort... You don't get to see what's on the other side of it, so you don't build up any evidence. So again, your social anxiety seems to be right. You shy away from the argument, you shy away from the rejections, you shy away from the public speaking, and your brain goes, see, you just protected yourself. And yet it doesn't really know if that was unsafe or not. And of course you know, rationally, something's wrong because other people are doing this and they're just fine. There are plenty of public speakers and they have great lives. There are plenty of people who stand up for what they believe in and get into arguments and nothing bad happens to them. And they're proud of themselves. And they respect themselves. 
There's plenty of people out there going out and asking someone out on a date and showing that they like people, making new friends, and they have great social lives. So they're doing all the things you're anxious about doing, but they're not dying. They're not suffering. And yet you believe somehow if you do it, it'll be worse. So social anxiety is kind of a lie. Now, some of you have actually had bad experiences. You've been bullied. You've been severely ostracized or whatever. But the truth is you're alive. It didn't kill you. It wasn't as bad as your anxiety makes it out to be. Now, you punished yourself for it, and that hurt you a lot. But other people, all they did was say stuff most of the time. You're not actually permanently injured from that. There may be some rare exceptions, but ultimately, you're very worried about something that will not kill you. And that worry is keeping you away from something you'll thoroughly enjoy. So ultimately, there are some beliefs in here that need to be destroyed. The beliefs that are holding you back. And I wanted to keep this episode very short and practical, so I'm going to quickly go through the beliefs and then we're going to dive straight into the daily actions you can take to overcome your social anxiety. I first just wanted to set the scene that your social anxiety will feel very real, it'll feel like there are threats out there, and yet you are basically completely safe. And all you're doing is missing out on opportunities. So in order to stick with the days of the week, I've identified seven of the beliefs that you have that need to be destroyed and the actions you can take to destroy them. Let's look at belief number one. It's bad for people to feel bad, including yourself. So it's essentially a belief that a good connection or relationship requires this kind of non-stop emotional comfort. People must feel happy and safe and agreeable and whatever all the time. Okay, so many people with social anxiety have this belief. They try to avoid anything they think of as negative emotions. This varies from person to person. It can be anger, sadness, embarrassment, awkwardness, disgust, strong disagreement or dislike. These kinds of emotions, confusion even, are often what socially anxious people try to prevent or avoid because they believe it's bad to feel bad. And they try to prevent those feelings in themselves. They try to avoid doing anything that would create that feeling. Embarrassment's a huge one for that. They don't do anything that might embarrass themselves or embarrass others. The problem with this, of course, is that connections are based on feelings. So if you subdue the amount of feelings you're allowed to have or that other people are allowed to have around you, you subdue the depth of the connection. You cannot hope to get into a deep, wonderful relationship or friendship with someone if you're only allowed to feel happy, calm, and safe. That is not the makings of a good relationship. It's the makings of a pleasant chat with a barista, but it's not the making of a relationship. So the first belief that needs to be destroyed is that it's bad for people to feel bad, or that those feelings are even bad, that they don't help relationships when in fact they do. And we'll get into how to change that soon. Number two. People disliking you is bad. Commonly more thought of as people need to like you or you need people to like you. And what does liking you mean? Basically it's an agreement. It's agreement with you being there, with what you say, with what you do. Again, it's the good feelings. They have good feelings about you and that causes them to like you. And that's good that they like you. And that it's always good that they like you. And it's always bad that they dislike you. This belief doesn't hold up very strongly to investigation. Like if you really hate someone, for example, let's say Trump, if he really likes you, is that still good? Or is it bad that he dislikes you, even though you dislike him? 
Choose whoever you can think of. Any person that you fully despise. Do you really want them to like you? What would that say about you if they did? If all the rapist pedophiles in the world thought you were an awesome person, what would that say about you? And if they disliked you because of you being a good person, wouldn't that be good? The idea that people disliking you is always bad is a belief that needs to be challenged. And also, people can like you when you're being fake. Maybe you do something that really breaches your integrity and certain people like you for it. Is it still good that they like you for that? If you lose your temper and beat up your partner and somebody thinks that was a good idea, do you really want that person to like you? So we need to find some way to challenge your belief that people always need to like you and that people disliking you is a bad thing. The truth is, you want good fit people to like you and bad fit people to dislike you. You want to push away the people who are bad for you and you want to draw in the people who are good for you. You don't want everyone to like you. That wouldn't make sense. You'd have to be very fake for that to happen. And also you have to welcome some people disliking you in order to be real and create those real connections. But your social anxiety will say, make everyone like you, which causes you to just end up alone. Number three, it's other people who reject you and it's bad that they do it. You think that? You think other people are the ones who reject you? Make you feel bad about yourself? You're sure about that? Because the truth is, nobody can really reject you. Nobody kicks you off the planet. I mean, unless they murder you, there's really nobody who says you can't exist. So what is rejection, really? Most commonly, a rejection is just someone showing that they have a preference to something other than you. They dislike or don't want you around in that particular moment. It's no different to someone saying they prefer chocolate ice cream over vanilla, or that they would rather stay inside than go outside. It's just a preference. They're saying they'd rather not you. For you to take that personally and feel bad about it, that's not them doing that. That's you. You're the one who actually does the rejecting part. And you'll notice it because there'll be some form in your life of someone rejecting you and it didn't feel bad. Maybe someone you hate says, I don't like you, and you thought, well, good. I don't like you either. And it didn't feel bad. But why does it sometimes feel bad? Why is it when the person who you're attracted to says they don't want to go on a date with you, that feels bad? All they've said is no. The thing is, that's not all you heard. They said no, but then you told yourself some shit about that no. And that's what hurts. So the belief that other people reject you and that it's bad that they do it is really a reflection that the way you treat yourself after somebody else says no is terrible. You say awful things to yourself. You're the one that says, I'm not good enough, I'm too fat, I'm too short, I'm too boring. They didn't say that. It's very rare for someone to be that brutal with you. Maybe it happened once or twice. But the millions of other times that it felt like it happened was you doing it to yourself. Not them. They just said no, or they turned their back, or they didn't show up to your party. They didn't do anything inherently negative. You're the one who added all the negativity. So that's a belief that needs to be challenged. Because once you realize other people can't reject you, you won't be afraid of them doing it to you anymore. Because they can't. The next one. The idea that you're not good enough for others as you are. That you need to be more or less than yourself. That you need to put on a show or you need to hide things about yourself. Because who you are in its rawest form is inherently wrong. It's called toxic shame. The idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And if other people see it, they will always reject it. So the belief here is that A, that you're not good enough. And B, that you need to be good enough. That good enough's a thing that you need to be. 
That's a belief that definitely needs to be destroyed. That's probably the main run around social anxiety. Social anxiety is trying to prevent the thing that's not good enough about you being revealed. It doesn't want that discovery to be made. It's anxious about that. So we're going to look at how to break your grip on that idea that there's two elements of that idea. One, that you need to be good enough, and two, that good enough's even a thing that exists. The next belief that needs to be challenged is the idea that it's bad to be alone. We often call it loneliness. We think that being by ourselves is bad. Despite all the counter evidence of all the good times we've had by ourselves and all the times we haven't enjoyed, even though there are people who like us around us, we've got this idea that being by yourself is a bad thing. Or that being by yourself in certain situations is bad. We need to see proof that if no one else liked you, you can still have a good time in life. If that you're all by yourself and there's no one else that you can still enjoy being you. We need to dispel the belief that you need other people to be around you and approve of you at all times. Number six, I guess it would be, the idea that you must fit in by doing what's right. That you must not break the unwritten rules of society. That you shouldn't say or do anything that's quote-unquote wrong. This is what social anxiety is basically all about. It's getting you to follow certain rules that are not written down, trying to figure out what those rules are and making sure you don't break them so that you fit in and so that you're seen as someone who's right and not wrong. But in order to find out who's right for you, you're going to have to break the rules because the rules are terrible and they don't exist. I mean, they exist inside your head, but they're actually not written down. There are some laws, but they're pretty extreme, like don't rape people or murder them. That's not your problem. There's no law that says you can't go talk to a stranger. There's no law that says you can't speak your mind at a family dinner. There's no law that says you can't confront your boss. And yet you're following it like it is a law. You're constantly worried about saying the wrong thing. While other people are talking, you're not even listening. You're just trying to think of the next right thing to say. That's social anxiety. The funny thing is you don't need to say the right thing. You can say the wrong thing all day long and some people are going to love you for it. Some people are only going to like you if you break the rules. So we need to see if breaking the rules is really as bad as it... And to see if the rules even exist outside of your own mind. Are you really unable to do these things, or do you just think you're unable to? And the last one, I've left it till last because it's the build-up. The one that you can't be honest. You can't show who you truly are, what you really think, what you really feel. Those controversial thoughts and feelings that you have all day long that you hide from people. The desires, the likes and dislikes that you don't want people to see. You have this deep sensation that you can't show all of that stuff. Social anxiety is very certain that you can't reveal everything. Constantly comes up with extreme hypotheticals. All these situations, well, are you just going to tell everyone your bank card? You can't do that because then they'll rob you. As if that's somehow an excuse to be dishonest all the time. But you not being honest is the number one thing preventing you from building deep connections. It's the thing that makes you just blend into the crowd and look like everybody else. Even if you're a show-off, you're just another show-off. It's only through being truly honest that you'll be unique, that you'll be one of a kind. Because only you can express yourself as you. Vulnerably, boldly, shamelessly, unapologetically. But your social anxiety says, no, you can't do that. Well, your social anxiety is quite wrong. I do it all the time, and I'm still not dead. And you can too. But enough theory. Let's talk action. 
The reason I chose seven beliefs need to be destroyed is because there's seven days of the week, which means you can take a single action each day. And I'm going to tell you what those actions are now. Let's have a look at Monday, challenging the belief that it's bad for people to feel bad. So what this belief will do is it'll stop you sharing what you think of as negative emotions so that you don't bum other people out or make them feel uncomfortable. So Monday is about doing that. Share a negative emotion, or what you think of as a negative emotion, with someone whom you usually wouldn't share. And do it without a segue, without permission or invitation, without waiting for somebody else to lead it towards that, or without it sort of making sense and fitting into the conversation. Just throw it out there. It can be as simple as just saying, Oh, God, I'm tired. What an awful weekend. Instead of, Hi, how's it going? You have a good weekend? Yeah, me, 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 me. Like you usually do. Let people see that you're tired or you're bored or you're sad or you're angry or you're confused or you're embarrassed or you don't know what the fuck's going on. Whatever you want to show that you wouldn't usually because it might bum them out, it might make them feel bad. Monday is all about watching out for that time where it's going to come up and they're just throwing it out there. Just once. Just with someone you don't feel 100% safe with. And just see if you die. If you're really worried, write out your will. Be prepared for the suicide mission. And see if making someone slightly uncomfortable actually kills you. If it doesn't, then maybe it's not so bad for people to feel bad. And what I want you to watch also is see if that person, every time you do this, that they leave your life permanently. See if it totally destroys whatever relationship you had with them. Because if it doesn't, then the idea that connections require a non-stop emotional comfort is wrong. If somebody can feel bummed out by you and then still like you the next day, then actually you can show uncomfortable emotions without destroying a connection. And that's the evidence we're looking for. Tuesday. Addressing the belief that people disliking you is bad, that people need to like you, that they must agree with your presence and your expressions. Tuesday is about finding something to disagree with. Now you've got to do it truthfully. This isn't just about being contrarian and disagreeing for the sake of standing out like some people do, which I can't stand. This is about finding something you truthfully stand on the other side of and expressing that, a controversial opinion perhaps, or arguing against something, where you usually wouldn't, because your social anxiety says don't do it. Take the risk that someone will dislike you because you're disagreeable, either because you disagree with them, or you express something that they disagree with. If you've got a conservative friend, express a liberal belief that you've always hidden from them. If you're a religious person, express a religious belief to your atheist friend that you usually don't go near this kind of topic with. Whatever it is, just put it out there and let someone feel some dislike towards your views and maybe even yourself personally and see if it kills you. Because if it doesn't, then maybe it's not so bad if people dislike you, aka disagree with you. Wednesday, the belief that other people reject you and that it's bad. That rejection is bad. This one's a real simple one. You're going to go out and get rejected. Or what we'll call rejected, which is really, you're just going to ask for something that you're sure someone will say no to. And then carefully witness the thought process that happens inside you after that no. You hear them say no, watch the difference between their behavior and what you tell yourself. Notice how after they say no, they don't do anything else. They don't stab you. They don't run off and try to destroy your career. They don't kill your family. They just say no and they move on with their life. Any further pain that you experience is you talking to yourself. And once you just notice that, assess all the injuries and negative consequences to measure the actual harm caused by somebody saying no. And just notice that that harm is zero. 
other than what you tell yourself. There's a great TED talk called 100 Days of Rejection. Just look it up on YouTube for some great ideas, like asking for a burger refill at McDonald's. Anything where someone was probably going to say no. And you can up the game once you get more confident. Ask your boss for a promotion, even though you haven't done anything to earn one. Or a pay rise. Ask your crush out on a date. Ask your parents to stop hassling you about your education. Whatever it is, something that you're sure someone will resist against and say no to. And you don't have to fight for it. You can just let them say no. You're not going to try and get it back and turn it into a yes. Just You actually want to experience a no. If you get a yes, you failed at the task. You've got to go swing for the fence more until you definitely get a no. Thursday. Addressing the belief that you're not good enough for others as you are. You've got to try hard and make them impressed in some way and hide the things they dislike. Thursday is kind of a passive day. Your action is simply to not try at all. Put no effort into being liked or fitting in. Don't do anything that's designed to make people like you or to show that you're good enough or to impress others. Just be you as if no one else is there and no one else is watching. It's a quite a difficult task, but you're going to have to notice what it is you do that's beyond what's needed. Kind of beyond what you would do if you were by yourself. Thursday means not dressing up nicer than you would dress if you were alone. It means not laughing at a joke that's not funny. It means not agreeing with something that you don't agree with. It means not offering to help if you don't really feel like helping. It means not doing anything that has the primary motivation of making people think that you're good enough. Just take a day off from fitting in, from being liked. Just see what happens. You don't have to try to be disliked. You don't have to put more honesty out there than you might usually. Just don't fake. Don't pretend. Don't do anything that people might think more highly of you than who you really are. Now Friday, Friday's date night, but it's date night by yourself. To challenge the belief that being alone is bad, especially being seen to be alone. So Friday, you're going to go out on a date by yourself in some visible way so that others can judge you being alone. They can see that you're clearly by yourself in a situation where you usually wouldn't be, and they can just see that happen, and you're just going to let that happen. The great one is just to go out for a nice little coffee when you'd usually go with someone else, but don't look at your phone, don't read a book, just be there by yourself in a flash cafe, having a coffee, table of four, and it's just you sitting there. Or a restaurant, or a movie. Anything that's usually social and that you usually feel uncomfortable doing by yourself, that you wouldn't usually do by yourself. For some of you, it might even be just going to the shopping mall. Just do it by yourself for once and let people see you doing it by yourself for as long as you can handle without distractions, without using your phone as a crutch. Go to a bar and have one beer, whatever it is, and just show yourself that, yeah, you can actually go out and live your life as a person who's alone. You don't have to hide at home. You don't have to hide behind a screen. You can just be alone and you won't die. No one's going to call the cops. You'll be fine. You might even enjoy it. My favorite dates are ones by myself. No, not really. But you can learn to enjoy being alone and just breathe through the anxiety feel as people look at you and you imagine them judging you and notice that nothing bad's actually happening. Number six, Saturday night. We're going to have some fun because it's Saturday. To challenge the rules... To challenge the belief that you must fit in and do what's right and not do anything wrong or say anything wrong. And how are you going to do that? You are going to deliberately embarrass yourself. Very slightly, 
You don't have to fucking end up on the news or anything, but you're going to break the social rules in a way that makes your heart race a little bit, where you stand out and be a bit weird in public. You don't have to do it for long, and you don't have to be extreme jackass style, or like my video where I walk around dressed as a fairy, but you can if you want. The more fun you make this, the better this whole experience will be. If you can make challenging your social anxiety thrilling and fun, then social anxiety will become something that you actually enjoy rather than suffer from. But maybe you just wear your pyjamas into a shop instead of normal clothes. You lie down on a street in public. Or you order McDonald's and then eat it at the counter instead of sitting down. You sing to yourself on the bus. Order heaps of stuff at the supermarket and then just walk away without actually buying it. Anything that just really breaks the rules, that's just really not right to do in public. That you'll never imagine yourself doing. Just do it. It might only last 30 seconds. That might be the most amount of embarrassment you can handle. And then you walk away and just show yourself, huh, look at that. Got embarrassed, didn't die. I can handle being embarrassed. I could do it again. And if you do it right, you can be like, actually, that was fun. I wouldn't mind doing it again. That was thrilling. I feel alive. All of this, of course, is the big build-up to Sunday, your final day, where you're going to take your big action and then have a rest. And that is to challenge the belief that you can't be honest, you can't show who you truly are. So Sunday is going to swing for the fence, and you are going to reveal a shameful truth about yourself to someone new, someone you haven't revealed it to yet. You can make a big list of all the things you hide from people, from events in your past through to emotions, beliefs, thoughts compulsions, behavior you'd rather not people know about. Whatever it is, you're going to go find someone and let them know that it's happened. You could announce it on social media, or you can just go to one person, tell them about it. Just get that shame off your back. Maybe you'll reveal a secret to someone that involves them, and you've kind of been hiding something from them. Or maybe it's got nothing to do with them, but you're a little bit worried about what they'll think of you. You just reveal it. And that's your week. Each of these actions probably won't take more than a minute each. But each of these actions will directly address and disprove the beliefs that maintain your social anxiety. You do it enough, and eventually you'll start to wonder, what was I actually afraid of? Because nothing bad's happening, and I'm starting to enjoy myself. And what's great about this is that you're not trying to make anyone like you. You're not trying to get friends, or get laid, or get a date, or become popular. You're just working on this experiment to deal with your social anxiety, so you're not going to have that attachment to outcome. This doesn't have to go anywhere. You don't have to achieve anything beyond doing the action. So it also teaches you to start going out and socializing and interacting with people for reasons other than the needy social outcomes that most people are chasing. Start doing it for yourself, for fun, for development. And you'll realize eventually that your social anxiety was all about attachment to outcomes. You're all trying to get liked and get approval and get whatever. When you start going out for a different reason, you realize you don't feel that pressure and anxiety anymore because there's nothing to get. Do the actions, record the evidence later each night. What happened? How much harm did you actually experience? Was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? Was it actually fun? What did you learn from it? And as you get into it and build your confidence, keep upping the stakes. Keep making it a little bit more thrilling, a little bit more dangerous and daring. And all the while, you're focusing on trying to be more bold, more honest, more vulnerable, speak to more people, meet more new people, interact more socially. And the added bonus will be that eventually, as you practice this stuff, you'll build a social circle, or at least contribute severely. 
or at least contribute significantly to building the skills and confidence you need to build a social circle. Hope that was helpful and practical enough. Get out there and try it. Don't just imagine doing it. Actually do it. And let me know how it goes. Dan at brojo.co.nz Of course, if you want to do much deeper work on this and become truly socially confident, get in touch and we can talk about that. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.